Hi, this is Philip Holland, host of Hope for the Day. I'm so excited that you are listening and you have this to look forward to from today's message. In that moment, my perspective was off. I was not focused on serving other people. I was focused on myself and frustrated about what I didn't like instead of focusing on other people like he was. Same circumstances, and yet he was focusing on other people. And I think that all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, are tempted that way when it comes to serving other people. We tend to focus on ourselves, what's gonna disadvantage us, what we like and prefer, given the circumstances, rather than what other people need and how we can help make that possible. Welcome to Hope for the Day with Pastor Philip Holland. Worship, prayer, reading your Bible, serving others, and attending church regularly are all practices that we as followers of Christ strive to incorporate into our daily lives. It is through building habits like these that we are able to stay firm in our faith, trust in God, and live the life that He calls us to live. These habits will help us cast aside anxieties of this world so that we might experience more of the peace of heaven. In this series entitled Holy Habits, we'll focus on developing these holy habits for our lives so that we might have a deeper connection with God. Please enjoy the message. We are going to be in uh, John chapter 13 this morning. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, John chapter 13, we are in week four of a series that we have been calling Holy Habits. And what this series has been is us looking at what are some habits that we can develop as followers of Jesus that will, in the process, make us more holy. In other words, what are some spiritual disciplines we can all practice that will make us more like Jesus himself as we follow him? So we've looked at prayer, we've looked at reading God's word. Last week we looked at worship. Today we're going to look at the habit of serving and we're going to see how serving other people will actually make us more like Jesus himself. Now, how many of you here have been a part of a mobile church before? Set up and tear down inside of a school or a YMCA? Okay, awesome. So those people know what hell on earth is like, in case you wanted to know. Um, <laughs> for real, though, if you've never been part of a mobile church where you've had to set up and tear down every week, I want you to take some time during this service and thank the Lord for this beautiful permanent campus that we get to enjoy every single week. Because mobile ministry is tough. Before I was on staff here, I was on staff at a mobile church in Castle Pines where we would have to set up and tear down inside of a school every single week. And typically, this is, this is the way it would work for us. We'd have to start incredibly early in the morning around 6 a.m., lug all of our equipment, which were stored in these heavy carts, out of these storage sheds, roll them into the building, set it all up for church, do church, and immediately afterwards, tear it all back down and put it back in the closet. Does a lot of great things for a church body. It's also really, really difficult to do as well. And so typically for me as one of the pastors, what I had to do was get there extra early uh, before everybody else to like open the doors and get things ready so that we could get things done on time. Now, the particular challenge at this church that I was a part of with this mobile ministry is we would have to prop the doors open to the school for about 15 to 20 minutes early in the morning as we rolled in these heavy carts. And because of the state we live in, this is what would happen. It'd be incredibly cold outside, and then the, the building would register that there's a bunch of cold air coming in, so it would start pumping heat into the worship center. And it's like, man, so I'd be like cold outside with multiple layers, but then I'd come inside and I'd have to like start setting up all this equipment, and I'm sweating, and I was doing this week in and week out, 
for years. And so I remember this one particular morning, it was really cold, it snowed, so I had to like scrape the sidewalks beforehand. I'm inside with one of the carts and I just feel the building pumping its heat in my face and I let my emotions get the better of me and in the moment I just blurt out, I wish the school would fix that dang heating system. Then enter Mr. Eric Bowman, okay? Eric Bowman was one of the volunteers who would help out every other week in setting up the equipment. And he's one of those guys who's like genuinely happy like all the time, like almost annoyingly so. You guys know those people in your life? Like your dog just gets murdered at the end of your driveway by a car and they come out as your neighbor. They're like, well, at least it's not raining outside. You're like, what's wrong with you? Like, I, what? What is going on? So that's Eric Bowman. Genuinely happy all the time. I blurt out my frustration and this is how he responds. Really in a genuine way. He's not trying to be mean or anything. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, you know, man, I'm just really thankful that we have a warm place to meet this morning as a church. Man, shut up. I don't want to hear that right now. <laughs> Let me be frustrated, right? But of course he was right. Because in that moment, my perspective was off. I was not focused on serving other people. I was focused on myself and frustrated about what I didn't like instead of focusing on other people like he was. Same circumstances, and yet he was focusing on other people. And I think that all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, are tempted that way when it comes to serving other people. We tend to focus on ourselves, what's gonna disadvantage us, what we like and prefer, given the circumstances, rather than what other people need and how we can help make that possible. So that's what we want to talk about today. Like I said, we're going to be in John chapter 13, if you got your Bible to follow along. This is the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet right before the Last Supper. And it starts out this way in verse 1. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered, and what I'm, going, what I'm doing you don't, now, you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. And Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who is bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, and this is why he said, not all of you are clean. Now, this event in the life of Jesus is incredibly, incredibly important. It's why if you've been following Jesus or involved in the church for any length of time, you've probably heard a sermon on Jesus washing his disciples Feet. This story teaches us a lot about Jesus. It shows us, first off, how much he loves his disciples. It says that right at the beginning of this passage, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. So this, this act on Jesus' part was an act of love for his followers. It also was an act of cleansing, right? Not just in a physical sense, but this interaction with Jesus and Peter 
kind of signified this spiritual cleansing that was about to come through what Jesus was going to do on the cross. Peter finally gets it and says, cleanse all of me, Lord, right? So this is a reference to Jesus needing to cleanse us as well physically and spiritually. But for our conversation here today, the most important thing that this teaches us is the example that Jesus set in serving those around him and for us to follow in his footsteps and do the same. Now, in order to fully understand this story, we got to do one of those moments of focusing on the cultural and historical significance of the day and time this was event. So what I need you guys to do is step out of the 21st century with me, and we're going to travel back in time to the first century AD world of ancient Israel, so we can understand the significance of this event. Thank you for tuning in to Hope for the Day. Our mission is to offer you hope through Christ-centered biblical preaching. We certainly hope that this broadcast is doing just that for you today. You might not know this, but each of these sermons are recorded live at Valley View Christian Church in the Denver metropolitan area. If you live in the city, we'd love to meet you in person. We offer Sunday services at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. We have programming for children of all ages, dynamic worship, plenty of opportunities to get connected beyond Sundays, outreach initiatives, and much, much more. Do you want to know why we do all that we do? Because so much of our church leadership has had their life changed at a local church. Because it's here that we met Jesus and he changed our lives. And we want Jesus to change your life as well. So attend a service at Valley View Christian Church. We would love to meet you personally. We're located just south of Highlands Ranch off of Highway 85 Santa Fe. You can go to our church's website, valleyviewcc.com, for more information. And again, those Sunday service times are at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. Now let's get back to our program. Now, in the first century world of ancient Israel, the primary form of transportation were your own two feet. All right? We didn't have buses, didn't have cars, and unless you were incredibly rich, you couldn't afford any type of cart or animal, right? So you had to walk everywhere that you went. Now, you didn't even get the guarantee of actually walking on a road because that was only a thing in certain developed areas where there's more people. So you are walking around on the dusty, arid roads or landscape of ancient Israel where there are animals, there are all kinds of dangerous things that could hurt your feet. And given the fact that unless you had a decent amount of money, you didn't even actually wear shoes because that cost too much. Now, we know a lot of Jesus' disciples were not the richest of people, so I guarantee you some of the disciples didn't have shoes as they walked around following Jesus. Now, also on this day and age, you don't have any type of, or I should say a whole lot of sanitary places to dispose of human waste. Again, that was something reserved for rich areas or big city areas. So oftentimes what people would do is simply expose the, they would get, they would take their waste, their human waste, and just throw it out in the street. Right? Add the animals on top of that. You get the picture of how dirty the streets are in either wearing open-toed sandals or no shoes at all as you would walk around. So that's the foot situation, right? I'm going to show you a replica of a first century Israel, Israelite house. This is a model, a replica of what a very classic, ordinary first century ancient Israel house would have looked like. A two-story house of mud and brick. The bottom, you would have a place to store your animals 
some of your cooking supplies, maybe some of your tools for outside. The life of the party, though, most of your social life was, would take place on the second story and oftentimes what is referred to as the upper room. And the way you would access the upper room is by climbing either a set of stairs or, in this case, a ladder. You would pop through the floor in the second, the second story, and that's where you would do your sleeping. That's where you would do your eating as well. Now, eating in the ancient world is also a bit of a different setup. Today, we eat at tables of about waist high, and we sit down in a chair that has a nice you know, support for your back. The ancient world, what you would do is eat off a table that was literally about six inches or maybe a foot off the ground or even on the floor itself, and you would literally recline at the, at the table. You would lay down and prop an elbow up, and that's how you would eat and interact. Or you would sit very, very small, huddled up next to the table. In other words, where are your feet? In close proximity to either the food or the people sitting next to you. So if that's the state of somebody's foot, and that's how you're going to eat, what should you do before you come to the table? Wash your feet. Good job, you guys. You're doing great. That's right. Now... The process of washing someone's feet was something that was reserved for the lowest possible person in society. It had to be a servant to wash somebody's feet because that's how degrading and disgusting they considered it to be. But not only that, Jewish law and custom at the time required that it had to be somebody who was a non-Israelite slave or servants to wash the feet, because that's how degrading and low they considered this to be. You're wiping, you're wiping feces and dirt and maybe even blood off someone's feet because of the wounds. So it's about as low as you could get in the social order. The only thing lower in the ancient world than being the servant that had to clean someone's feet was being the servant that had to tend to the family cat. Just doesn't get any worse than that. Just kidding, just kidding. I had to get that one in there, right? So typically, the host of the house would have the servant in the bowl of water with the towel ready at the top of the stairs, that ladder, so that as soon as they come up, that servant could wash someone's feet before dinner. Now, what's really interesting about the text is if you look closely, it tells us when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. It tells us that after supper, he got up to go wash his feet. Now, why, why would Jesus do it after supper? Here's what I think happened, all right? If you read in different parts of the gospel, the, the last supper before Jesus went to the cross was kind of planned last minute, like, hey, go to this person's house. They're gonna have a room ready. You remember that story? So it was probably a bit of a rush of it. Therefore, there likely was not a servant ready at the top of the stairs to wash the people's feet. So put all this together. This is how I think this happened. The disciples and Jesus come to this house like they've done dozens of times before over the course of his three-year ministry, they make their way up the stairs or the ladder. Let's say Peter comes out first. He pops up, and he waits a second. He sees the bowl. He sees the towel. He waits a second, doesn't see a servant, and goes, well, that's not my job anymore. I'm with Jesus. He walks on. Who comes up the ladder next? John does the same thing, sees that the bowl has not been filled with water, that Peter, Peter has already moved on. And does the same thing. Next comes James and then the rest of the disciples. And I guarantee, or I think at least, that Jesus probably came up last of all and got to the top of the stairs and sees that the towel is still dry and that the water is still clean and hasn't been used. Looks at his disciples and every single one of them missed an opportunity to serve. 
And so then he takes that as an opportunity after supper to be a teaching illustration and an example to set. Now I guarantee you, every single one of the disciples, they've been traveling with Jesus for years, so they probably had their feet washed a lot by servants. So they were used to it at this point. So the one time it doesn't happen, after spending three years with Jesus, the famous rabbi of Israel, they get to a point, and the, the book of John tells us just a couple chapters before this, that they were arguing among themselves about who was the best. They get to this point, they go, that's below me now. That's not my job anymore. And so with all that in mind, after supper's done, Jesus stands up and he starts to make his way back towards the ladder. Maybe they're going, wait, is it time to go? Is he going to teach us something or are we moving on somewhere else? And they watch him pick up this jar of water and dump it into the bowl, pick up a towel as he takes off his own robe and starts walking towards them. They knew exactly what was about to happen. And they would have immediately felt the conviction that Jesus, their Lord, their teacher, is the one taking on the form of a servant to wash their feet. And they go around one by one, and I imagine Jesus took it nice and slow to make the point. And so this goes on, and Jesus does it as an example to set for his people. He not only does it to show us his love, he does it to show us that example of how we can follow by picking up a menial task of doing something for other people just like Jesus himself did. Thank you for tuning in to Hope for the Day. I hope that this message has been an encouragement to you. I know that it has been to others. You see, it is through the generous contributions of people like you that this ministry can thrive and get God's truth out into the world. I recently received a card from someone who said, Thank you for these messages on Hope for the Day. They are encouraging and refreshing as we get the opportunity to hear biblically-centered teaching that continually points people to Christ. And that is just one of several notes that we have received of those who appreciate the teaching here at Hope for the Day. If you'd like to become a partner of ours, just go to Valley View Christian Church's website at valleyviewcc.com. It's there that you can click on the Give tab, and then you can designate your gift to go to the Hope for the Day ministry. And we would love it if you would partner with us in this way, and I know many others would as well. If you are in the Denver metropolitan area, we wouldn't want you to just be a supporter of ours. We want you to attend one of our services in person to be a part of the experience that we have here at Valley View Christian Church. We offer three service times on Sunday at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. And it's at each one of these services that we record the messages that you hear here on Hope for the Day. Now let's get back to today's broadcast. Anybody seen the old uh, Charlotte's Web movie several decades ago? Not the new one, the the old classic one? Yeah. What's the last word that Templeton the rat brings to Charlotte to make before she dies? Anybody remember? What's the last word? Humble. Picks up a candy wrapper that says humble, and Charlotte responds at first by saying humble has two meanings. The first means low to the ground. Jesus here is doing exactly that. He's showing us his humility by literally making himself low to the ground where the dirt, the feces, the grime was, and taking on that role. So the text goes on, 
And Jesus picks it back up. Verse 12, Jesus picks it back up with this teaching opportunity, and he says this. When Jesus had finished, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given, an, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So Jesus sits back down, and he takes this opportunity to teach and instruct his disciples to do just as he has done for them. Remember, these are Jesus' 12 disciples, right? These are the most important people around Jesus at this time. And he's telling them they need to serve. In other words, this act of service and serving other people is not something reserved for the ultra-righteous or the super-spiritual or paid church staff members. This is a job for all of us as followers of Jesus to follow in Jesus' example. Now, what's interesting about this is the fact that there's a spiritual reality at play behind this idea of following in Jesus' footsteps, right? And that principle is this. I'm going to say it like this. You will walk like those who you walk with. I'm going to say that again. You will walk like those who you walk with. The book of Proverbs says it this way. The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer, suffer harm. You will naturally become like those that you are walking with, okay? In other words... If you walk and spend your time with corrupt, immoral business professionals, you yourself are naturally going to become a corrupt, immoral business professional. If you walk and spend your time with prideful, gossiping friends, you are naturally going to also become a gossiping, prideful person yourself. But the same is true the opposite direction. If you walk humbly with the Son of God, as a servant, you will naturally become a humble servant person yourself. You will walk like those who you walk with. And this is what Jesus wants for all of us in modeling this example of service. I want to introduce you to my friend Juan. This is not our student pastor Juan, though he is a friend as well. This is Juan the Mason who lives in El Salvador. This picture was taken a couple of weeks ago on our mission trip um, as we were down in the community of Shutia building these latrines. Now, Juan is one of the local masons in the area who works on all kinds of construction projects, but also with these, with these type of construction projects with the mission team. Now, he's also one of the church leaders in the community, so he really is the best of both worlds, and he is just an incredible man, guys. We spent a week with him. He was so incredibly patient with us, teaching us how to mix the cement and lay it properly when he could have and did do this job so much better than us. But what was most interesting about Juan's story is I found out while we were down there that oftentimes the local masons hired for these projects will jump ship last second because they can actually make more money doing a different job somewhere else than at the, at the mission trip team. And that's actually what happened to us when we were down there. The, the day of our project, a couple of the masons were not able to make it because they took jobs elsewhere and it kind of messed up the logistics for the whole week. But the person that didn't go anywhere was Juan. When Juan could have jumped ship and went and made money somewhere else, he intentionally not only stayed around to do this project, but to make it take even longer by helping us out in the process. Juan is like my friend Eric Bowman. 
He didn't let, let his circumstances get the better of him. He chose to, in spite of that, focus on the needs of other people, even people who are not a part of the church, and helping serve them. And that is the type of mentality that Jesus wants for all of us as his followers. To be servants, to be willing to focus on what other people need and not what we want or prefer. Now, my job as a pastor is to teach you what the Bible says, but then also from there to help you apply what the Bible teaches in different contexts, right? So that's what we're gonna do here for the last 10 minutes or so of the sermon, all right? How can you go about serving other people? Well, to answer this question is actually pretty easy because you can do about a billion things to serve other people, right? You can mow someone's lawn. You can offer childcare for a coworker's kiddos. Let them go out on a date night. You can go serve at the local shelter, right? You can bring an elderly person their groceries. There are all kinds of things that you can do. But what's interesting about the Bible is this incredibly strong emphasis that it puts on serving other Christians specifically. The Bible commands us to serve brothers and sisters in Christ first and foremost as an expression of our love and an example of what Jesus did for us before we go out and serve everyone else. Are we supposed to go out there and serve the world and do all these kinds of things? Well, unfortunately, we have to bring today's message to a close. But my hope is that the word that was spoken was an encouragement to you. That's always our hope here at Hope for the Day. Did you know that these messages are recorded at Valley View Christian Church every Sunday? And if you're here in the Denver metropolitan area, we'd love to have you attend one of our Sunday services at Valley View Christian Church. We have Sunday service times at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. And we'd love to have you come and attend one of those services and be with us. And I, Pastor Philip Holland, would love to meet you in person. And also remember that the Hope for the Day broadcast is available on your favorite podcast provider. So we look forward to having you again with us on Hope for the Day.